This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. I've used this illustration with quite a few people in the past uh, weeks, months, but uh, in pre-algebra, you're going to learn something that is uh, called order of operations in math. And so when you look at an equation, you know, that's quite complex. It has a lot of different factors in it. It has parentheses in there. It has multiplication, division, addition, subtraction. It's very, very important in a mathematical uh, problem-solving process to know the proper order of operations. And so if you start with uh, subtraction, for instance, you get uh, the whole problem wrong. And what's funny is most of us as the church start with subtraction. We don't like what that person said, so we subtract. Uh, and when in actuality, that's just the bad solution. Uh, even though you have facts, you need to make sure you handle your facts correctly. So you start with parentheses, that which is in the parentheses, and you move to multiplication, then division, then addition, then subtraction. Isn't that an irony? And so for me in this process, I'm really desiring to have the order of operations correct. And one of the great points of argumentation for or against spiritual gifts is in the book of First Corinthians, which ironically, the whole book is based on a correction, that the church in Corinth is really messing up, one of the things, spiritual gifts. So when people say, well, look, Paul talks about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians, it's like it's important to recognize that they had the order of operations wrong. It's not that the use of them is wrong. It's the fact that they were misusing them, which caused a whole bunch of us to say, see, I don't want to be like the church at Corinth. I don't want to use them because I may use them wrongly. And then you have the other people that say, hey, look, the church at Corinth used them, and so I'm going to use them. And there's sort of a happy medium there. It's called love. So the chief operation or the first order of operations in the church, Paul gets back to it and he says, first of all, it's all about Jesus and him crucified. And then secondly, no matter what we do in this body, it needs to be the outflow of love. So if you do speak in a tongue or you do prophesy, we'll make sure that it doesn't cross over and violate the principle of love. And that's what Paul is appealing to here. He's like saying, guys, though you have these spiritual gifts, you're carnal. By the way, that's not a compliment. That means you're functioning in the flesh. Well, doesn't that sound like a funny thing to be doing when you have spiritual gifts? How could you have spiritual gifts and function in the flesh? Now, if you know flesh and spirit, you know that they're the exact opposite of one another. So how could you do something spiritual in the flesh? Welcome to the modern church. That's how most people do Christianity. They function out of their own ability, out of their own strength, as opposed to out of God's strength and God's ability. And that's what I would say is the basis of spiritual gifts. It's learning how to function in this body by means of the Holy Spirit, as opposed to by the means of natural talent and ability. Because we have natural talent and ability, it is very easy to start there. 
And when we start with natural talents and we start with natural ability, we start with natural reasoning and natural deduction, we inevitably are starting out of order and we get the wrong mathematical conclusion. And Paul comes in and corrects us. He says, guys, you're missing it. You're once again missing it. So what I have a desire to do, though this is dangerous territory, is to enter into this dangerous territory and help us move through some of the fog banks unto clear operation. I, will, I do not want us to step on love at the same time we're trying to move forward some of the more minor aspects of body life. Because though I do believe that spiritual gifts are operative today, which is going to be one of the things I talk about in this message, I actually believe that there is a higher operation than spiritual gifts, and it would be better for us not to have spiritual gifts if we did not love. You could speak in the tongues of men and of angels. By the way, that's in the context of talking about tongues. So we could even upgrade it. I mean, you speak in some unique tribal tongue, and someone's like, that's my language. It's supernatural. It's amazing. You could speak in the tongues of an angel. I have no idea what that would sound like, but it would probably be very impressive. And yet, if you do not have love governing the use of that, you are a clanging cymbal. You are an obnoxious noise. You see, it's the love that causes that gift to actually be useful to the body, to be pleasant in the ears of heaven. I desire what we have to be leveraged. Most churches today, 5% of the church functions, and the rest watch 5% function. I am interested in 100% functionality. I do not believe we are there, nor have we yet built the bridge for all of us to cross over into full functionality, but that is what I'm doing. I'm sort of drawing an architectural design of a bridge, and I'm saying, see bridge, and then see you cross bridge to other side, and that other side is full functionality. However, we don't yet have the bridge, so if one of you said, I have a tongue this morning, it'd be very interesting to see how we would respond. Because we do not have that crossover yet for a functional body for all of you, 100% of you, to participate. Some of you are like, I have a spiritual song. And then I'd be like, uh, okay, could you hold that spiritual song until we finish all of this and build the bridge? We are a body that is blended. So we have very conservative elements in our body that have no exposure to spiritual gifts. And then we have those that are overexposed to spiritual gifts to the point where they are carrying with them a pattern for how we should operate. And then there's the conservative side of the body who is like, whoa, that's not healthy. So how do we learn to coordinate together? And so I'm going to be addressing some things for the conservative side here. This is going to be awkward. And for the charismatic side or charismatic leaning side, this is going to be awkward, as is almost every message I give. Have you ever noticed that? I, I never make anyone happy. I'm always like offending half the group with no matter what I say. And yet I actually think that's why we work together well, is because we all have different emphases and different aspects of the body that we crave to see expressed, and they're all good. But my desire is to not overrule love and the centrality of Jesus Christ in the forward movement of our body's development. <clears throat> the shadow kingdom, understanding the role of the things that pass away. Now, some of you may have picked up on the fact that the scripture reading for today is one of those great debatable points. It's right out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's right at the very center of Paul's argument to the church at Corinth where he's building an argument. He's like, guys, guys, whoa, 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 Go, guys, 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 guys. All right, I'm going to show you a better way, a more excellent way, love. 
This is how it's all done. You can do all these things in the correct form, but if you don't have love, it's empty, it's hollow, it's nothing. So right smack in the middle of his love argument, he is going to whip out this concept in 1 Corinthians 13 of what I'm going to call the shadow kingdom. Most people today split in the body of Christ on two different terms. Cessationism, big word, and I really don't care if you even learn it, to be honest with me. To be honest with you, that's, that's how I should have said that. And then charismatic giftings. Ironically, every single one of us as Christians better have charis. Okay, that's grace. And charisma is the grace operative within the body. That's how we function. So if you don't have that, you really need it. Okay? So technically, we should all be charismatics. But when I say the word charismatic, some of you are like, whoa, whoa, I'm not one of those. Well, technically, if you're a Christian, you need to be. Otherwise, you're non-functional. Now, the other side of that is cessationism. Again, big word, which means for something to cease. And did you know that we, we don't offer, offer, offer sacrifices in Jerusalem? We don't have a day of atonement. There is something that has ceased because of the Son of God who has come, who has lived in one of these bodies, and who lived the perfect life and died the death that we should have died. He was sacrificed on our behalf. We no longer sacrifice. Therefore, something has ceased. We all should be cessationists. Technically, that is part of what it is. So we're charismatic cessationists. And that's what a functional Christian should be, which is the great irony of ironies if you know those two debates. All of us should function with a reflection of both in our Christianity. And so we need to understand the role of things that pass away. There are things that have passed away that are written in the Old Testament that we do not practice and perform anymore. And if we did, we would be going back under an old system. And that old system has actually passed away and it would be derogatory. It would be diminishing to the work of Christ on that cross to actually return to it. So Paul then brings up these, I mean, Paul's famous uh, for bringing up lines that split the church. I mean, what, what, Paul, what are you doing? When that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. That's just a fact. And fa- that's, that's a fact. You go back to the Old Testament and imagine uh, Paul is living in the Old Testament days. And they have something that I would call a shadow kingdom. It was the kingdom of Israel. It was the Hebrew culture. And what did it do? It was reflecting. It was showcasing something to come. It was saying there is one that will come and this is what he will look like. And when he comes, all of these laws and these systems of governing and these these sacrifices, all of these things, this temple, it will cease. It no longer holds its place because it's a shadow of that which is to come. So you could have said when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Well, that makes sense in the Old Testament. Why does it it cause such confusion today? Because it's the same thing. Hey, guys, we're a body of Christ here. You know, this is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, did you know that all of this stuff that we could be teaching of how we need to function as the body, how this thing is run, elders, bishops, deacons, all of these things, you know that it's going to pass away? Because it's a placeholder. It's a shadow kingdom of something that is to come. So, hey, that's fact. The subject of spiritual gifts. Awkward. No matter how you cut it, when you take a body like ours and you begin to address these things, even though you just keep coming back and sitting in those seats, I'm sure some of you have wrestled through this, either with my conclusions or some of my emphases. It's a hard topic to navigate through, and yet I just want you to know up front 
I am aggressively going after this because of my love for the body. I'm not doing it because I just like the mental labor it takes me through. I genuinely desire the body to be functional. And unless we move in this direction, it will always be 5% of the church doing the work and the rest looking in. But that isn't how God designed us. So therefore, I am very interested in pressing this, though it be uncomfortable. Introducing a way to organize and understand the gifts. Now this comes from the trip that Hudson and I had down to Georgia where we were at the Kendrick's next movie production. Uh, So they have a new movie called Overcomer. And so uh, Hudson and I were down there. It was a lot of fun. And it was the last day. And uh, Stephen was talking to a guy over here. And I overheard something. I said, could you repeat that? And he said, yeah, yeah. Well, you see, it seems that the spiritual gifts break up into father gifts, son gifts, and uh, Holy Spirit gifts. And then he said a quick description of that, which I then forgot, but I was so fascinated by it. I was like, Could you, where'd you get that from? And because I was like, that is a fascinating description of it. And they said, well, I haven't written the book yet. Well, great, thanks. Uh, that didn't help me. And so here's what I'm going to try and do. I've been pondering it for months, okay? Now, this is an imperfect organization of it. It's not the way the Bible clearly states it, but the Bible is funny on this topic. There's five different lists of what we could call spiritual gifts, and they're all different. So it's very difficult to create what we call a taxonomy or an order to these things. Because for those of us that crave order, systematic organization of things, the Bible doesn't help us in this regard. And I think that's on purpose. There's something about this that God seems to have a wink and a smile on to sort of say, how you doing there? You see, he needs us to be dependent. He's looking for us to understand order of operations. What's this about? It was about revealing Christ. How? Through love. All right? then these are the tools that I've given you. So I'm going to have that same breakdown here. We're going to say father gifts, son gifts, and spirit gifts. I'm going to walk through this. It's, again, part of this is a human organization process, but I think as we go through, you'll understand why I'm choosing to use it for this message. 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails, which means it never ceases. There are certain things in Scripture that will never end, but there are other things that actually come to a close. Okay, I've already given you the illustration of sacrifice of lambs, bulls, and goats in the Old Testament. That ceases. The temple of God in the Old Testament, that was used for a season for sacrifices. Also, the dwelling place of the living God was in that temple. But when the new covenant began, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, that temple veil was rent in two, and it was symbolic of the fact that that temple moved from being a building built by human hands to being a building built by God. He desires to move into the human body. He says, do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? An old system has ceased so that something, get this, greater could be expressed. Love never fails. It never ceases. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. They will cease. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So what we have are some some statements which have actually divided the body of Christ. And probably one of the sharpest divisions in the body today is found right in this flow of Scripture. I'm going to go back 
And it says, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Now, for those of you that are totally ignorant of this line, you probably have lived a much happier life because of it. However, for those that are trying to deal with spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts offer a tremendous challenge to the body. Why? Because they have been distorted, misused, and perverted, and as a result, conservatives that tend to like things organized, disciplined, and in a box, really struggle with them. And so as a result, this one line creates an out. It's an excuse to say it's all over, it's done. You see, it says that when the perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Well, that's including tongues and prophecy. Of course, knowledge, that's an awkward one to throw in there. But it includes these things. Those things are done away with. They cease, therefore, we can get out. So you know what they say? They say the scripture, the New Testament being written, is the perfect. So now we have the closed canon, and it's, it's perfect. I'm not going to argue that. However, that isn't what I'm going to argue is what that is talking about there. And most thinking Christians know instinctively that's not what it's talking about. However, it's an escape valve. It's a loophole. And so if you can jump through that uh, loophole, you actually solve a huge dilemma, which means you can eliminate most of the New Testament when it talks about spiritual gifts and say, well, yeah, that was for back then. We don't need to deal with that today. It's very... It's very easy to do, yet it does not solve the dilemma of the whole New Testament and all the pastoral letters. Paul is teaching the church how to function, how to do these things, and never once does he ever repeat that line in that context. This has a very, very specific role. It is talking about that which needs to pass for something greater to come. And so the context, even in the midst of this argument, is very, very important, and I need us to walk through this just so that we have greater clarity and freedom moving forward. Because I do not believe that the perfection of the Scriptures, the fact that we have 66 books of the Bible, which I believe are perfect, and I believe are wonderful, I'm a huge fan of them, I do not believe that that's what it's talking about. Any more than in the Old Testament, the fact that they had the books of the Old Testament, that they had the perfect. It pointed to the perfect that would come. The New Testament points to the perfect that will still come. Same perfect, by the way, if you're wondering. His name is Jesus. So the end of a shadow kingdom is known as cessation. It is the closure of one kingdom, a shadow kingdom, I'm going to call it. It's a kingdom that speaks of something to come. It's prophetic in its very nature. Its very essence is saying it will be like this, but it will be far more clear and vivid. Right now you see through a glass dimly. You do not see it as clearly as it will. So you look at the Old Testament. And you see the sacrifices. You see even like the Seder meal that they had. You see the, the rock in the wilderness, the manna that comes down from heaven. The entire Old Testament points to something. But it's, it's unclear. It's, it's not definable. But they say he will come and one day he will remove the iniquity of the land. He'll be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. He'll be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Who is this that he's talking about? Well, now we see him clearly. He's Jesus Christ. And now we enter a new covenant in his blood. But, get this, this is going to sound quite amazing in the midst of that. We are still a shadow kingdom. Though more clear than that one, we are still a shadow kingdom that has not yet fully realized what it is God is doing. We have not seen the fulfillment of it all. There is still more to come. And what we have been built for is an expression. Just as the Old Testament was built to express this, 
We are built as a body to express something to come. And so as we cherish the way that we have been built, though it is not perfect, and though it is full of very imperfect vessels, God has chosen weak things to reveal something glorious and perfect. So what is cessation? It's the putting away of first behaviors, the ceasing of certain activities that were merely shadows of what was to come. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. So what we see in Scripture is that just like in the Old Testament, sacrifice would have been something that was an imperfect but was a shadow of something to come. And so is prophecy, and in this context, so is tongues, and so is knowledge. And it will vanish, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but that, when that which is perfect has come, that that which is in part will be done away. So we need to land the issue of, okay, so has the perfect come or not? And I'm going to walk through the fact that I'm going to say, I do not believe the perfect, as Paul would be referring to in 1 Corinthians 13, has come, so we cannot just eliminate all of these things conveniently. And by the way, there are many moments in my life when I've wished I could eliminate them. Okay? I have seen tremendous abuses in the church of these issues, and as a result, I have wanted to be able to conclude in 1 Corinthians 13 that the perfect has come, because it makes my job a lot easier. But, in good conscience, I cannot. So therefore, that means that I'm going to say that though Paul says that prophecies will fail and tongues will cease and knowledge will vanish away, that that is still the season we're in. They haven't vanished, they haven't ceased, they haven't gone. Because they are still needed to reveal that which is to come. Though, they're awkward, uncomfortable, and strange, and very easily abused. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So what we have in the Old Testament is a similar thing. They had shadows, and those shadows are dietary code. There was a very specific way they were supposed to eat or and drink. They had festivals. There were very specific actions they needed to have. Certain festivals, all the men needed to come up to Jerusalem. They had new moons and Sabbath days. There was a very specific prescription in the Old Testament law of how they needed to handle these things. Paul is making it very clear that in this new covenant, those things have ceased. They were shadows. It doesn't mean they don't have wisdom to it. In other words, keeping a Sabbath is a very wise thing to do. However, that Sabbath was pointing to the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ. Every single thing, the dietary code of the Old Testament is still pointing to Jesus. Jesus comes along and says, hey, Unless you eat of this body and drink of this blood, you have no life. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like cannibalism. See, don't eat anything other, truly, outside of this code. Understand that this is what you've been set apart to feast on. You've been set apart to feast on the living God when he comes. All of these things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Every festival, every feast. I mean, think about the feast. Passover, who did that reveal? Jesus Pentecost, what does that reveal? The life of Jesus given. Tabernacles, it's like these green leafy bushes that they say, and they sleep, they sleep inside of them throughout the festival. That's Jesus. He becomes a house for us. He's a living house, one that was cut off as a branch, but now becomes a living house for us. The whole thing reveals Jesus. The substance is of Christ. That's what it all points to. You see, there's a time and a place for every one of these things, and they're good. There's nothing wrong with the, the, the dietary code in the Old Testament. It's perfect. 
It came from God to them. There's nothing wrong with the festivals. They're great. They showcased Jesus. But when Jesus comes, you do not find your righteousness in keeping a feast. You find your righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus. That is how it works. So why does God bring things to an end? Isn't that an interesting thought? It's like, God, why, why would you do that to us? This has led to so much confusion. If we just sort of started out a system and we just kept it the same way, we wouldn't have all this confusion. Yeah, granted, I, I can see that. You see, at every ceasing point, there is what we could call, sorry for the big word, a metamorphoal. Okay, that's the Greek word. You understand it as metamorphosis. It is a change that takes place. And that change, you think of the Old Testament unto the New Testament, and what you have is a metamorpho. You have a change. We go from being an old man and putting off Adam to now, by faith, entering into Christ and his work on that cross, and we become new creatures in Christ. We are changed. So no longer are we now only functional by our own man strength. We are now able to function by spirit strength. That's amazing. But guess what? There's still another change. And in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. Metamorpho. And there is going to come an end to this season that we are in. And by the way, the next season, just like the new covenant is greater than the old, is greater than what we are living in right now. I don't know if you want to hang on to this old body forever, but I'm very happy to have a new one. In other words, God is bringing us somewhere. So we need to recognize that cessation is not a bad thing. Though people have taken it and wielded it to the point where they've denied the power thereof in the church of Jesus Christ today, it does not mean that the concept itself is unbiblical. It is a very biblical concept. We just need to know how to rightly handle it. So here's our word metamorpho. To change into another form, the form of Christ Jesus. To transform, to transfigure, to be altered into the divine temperament, the heavenly disposition, the perfect glory of his nature and bearing. To be made like Jesus Christ in actuality. This is the process throughout history that you see in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what is happening in the church right now. When you come to Christ, you go through a metamorpho, a metamorphosis, just like a little caterpillar enters into a chrysalis. You are being changed. But in that being changed, there is still something greater than that chrysalis. In that chrysalis is a very real alteration, a new creature. But then there is ultimately a new butterfly that is going to emerge out of that transformation process. So we have the caterpillar, which is an amazing picture. Even in the Greek, the caterpillar is the picture of metamorpho. So the the caterpillar literally is a new creature when he becomes a butterfly. However, in that process, what do you call the chrysalis? It's a necessary in-between process of being transformed, which is a hard thing for us to understand in this thing called Christianity of what it means, like where we're going through right now. It's called sanctification. We are saved in Christ Jesus. We are no longer in the dirt, but what are we? Well, we're being changed by the work of the Holy Spirit in us more and more into the perfect one who can fly who has the glorious color in his wings. So it's, it's a hard thing to sometimes know how to articulate, but that's why the word is important. The branch. So you're just a branch uh, hanging off to the side of the road, and the law comes, and the Old Testament says, you need to be bearing fruit. And you look at yourself, and you're like, boy, I'm not doing very well, am I? You see, you, God is the perfect vine with branches, and you look over at him, and it's like, boy, he has it together. 
He says, yeah, but you don't. You see, I'm holy, you're unholy. So then somehow that grand gospel reaches us where we recognize that he has made a wound in his side. And it's a graft spot where we can actually, by faith, give up our old life as being dead branches and enter into his vine, into his life, in and through his wounds. And when we do, we're grafted in. And in so doing, we are changed. We are. We're a new creature, if you want to say it that way. However, there's still a process of pruning, of growth and development unto the full sort of branch that God intended, which has such weighty grapes on it that it takes two men, two strong men, by the way, to carry out a cluster of those grapes, that sort of fruit that you're bearing. You see, I don't know if you're there yet, but that's where the Spirit of God is taking us. The shadow kingdom. So we're going to call it the first house or the first condition. So when we start in Adam, this is the way we all are born. We're old versions of what humanity is supposed to be. There's a new, but it doesn't mean old in age. It just means old in disposition. It's the Adam. Sort of like we say, oh, yeah, my old man. Well, actually, I don't use that term. Eddie Haskell and Leave it to Beaver use that term. His old man, which means usually a father. Well, we have an old man, and his name is Adam. And we are all from Adam, and we all receive Adam's just sentence of death, unless there is an escape. And because of Jesus Christ, we are now able to put off the first house, to cease functioning in a first house, and now to function and do our work in a new house, in a second house. Okay, so that's the concept that I'm wanting you to catch today as we talk. So I want you to see this first house. And I want you to recognize that each of these things was a gift. Now, I'm using the word gift on purpose. Most of us wouldn't think of using the word gift in this context. I'm purposely doing it so that you see something. So, and I'm going to liken this to the father gift, okay? When I say father gifts, I'm going to talk about that which was first. It's born in you, okay? The gift of the law, okay? Most of you don't think of that, of that as a gift. It's like, oh, law, boo, Actually, it's a gift because without the law, you don't recognize that you're a sinner. And if you don't recognize you're a sinner, you don't recognize that you need a savior. The law is a gift of love to us. It can't save us, but it's a gift. The gift of the sacrifices. I know that's like, why would that be a gift? Because it showcases something to come. It showcases the perfect sacrifice. You need a sacrifice to atone for your sin. So all of these things are gifts. They're shadows of something greater. And I think all of us could admit that. Just looking at this list, I don't want to go back to law and sacrifices and having to bring my gifts to a tabernacle or to a temple. But the gift of the tabernacle, it's a pattern. Saying that the Holy Spirit will dwell inside of one of these. Now little do you know that you are literally, Jesus was the perfect tabernacle. He was the perfect temple. And the Holy Spirit dwelt inside of him and he modeled the perfection of what we are supposed to show. However, then Paul says, don't you realize what Jesus did? That when you believed in him by faith, you became that temple, that tabernacle. Now you are walking versions of this. So the gift of the priests, the gift of the kings, See, each of these, Jesus is the fulfillment of the priests, the priesthood. He is the ultimate high priest that enters into the Holy of Holies with his own shed blood as the offering of atonement. The gift of the kings, well, it shows the, the entire framework of how a kingdom is ruled. 
The shadow kingdom was ruled by men, but the kingdom of God is ruled by Jesus himself. He is the king of all kings. The gift of the word of God in text, in the Old Testament, they were actually given the word of God in text, and yet that wasn't the perfect. That was a shadow of that which is to come. Any more than the treasure map is the perfect, actually the treasure map is merely that which shows how to get to the treasure. And so as a result, don't mix up the treasure and the treasure map. The treasure map is extremely important and we would die to maintain its integrity. But it leads to something greater. So all of these are a shadow of things to come. They are all a gift from God. The father of lights, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Yeah, they're all a father gift. They're all a schoolmaster preparing us for Christ. So it says, wherefore the law, we could say all those first things, was a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, all of these things were a tutor. They're saying, hey, uh, do you see that you're a sinner? You see what the law is teaching you? Yeah, I can't do it. Uh huh. You see, you need a savior. All of these things were a tutor to the soul. They were a shadow kingdom saying, there is one that will come. So the father gifts. I'm going to describe it this way. That which is natural and inborn, showcasing a shadow of kingly greatness. So I want you to think about your body. Now, I I recognize that many of you are pretty hard on your body, and you think that other people have a better body. You know, it's like, why did I get stuck with this thing? Okay, now maybe some of you are the exact opposite, going, boy, I'm glad I got stuck with this thing and not that thing. I don't know how you think in that. However, the human body is an extraordinary picture. It is. Now, in and of itself, it can't save itself. It's rather weak. It's feeble. But in and of itself, it's still rather extraordinary. But it's a shadow. It's a shadow of a greater body. Okay, so inborn in this father gift, I mean, you have life. You can breathe. You can walk. You can do things in this body. It's pretty amazing. So just think about this list. Mortal life, breath. Yeah, sure, it's mortal. It's not immortal, but still. I mean, you have it. I mean, it's there. Health, strength, stamina. Now, some of you might be like, I don't have that. However, you could have it in this body. What we see is a shadow. This, this body in itself is a shadow kingdom. What? Of what? So that you could understand the body of Christ. That's actually what it's for. What does Paul refer to? He says, hey, guys, just like your body is the way that this is. It's a shadow. It's an absurdly lovely, creative, and extraordinary creature. Now I recognize that not every human reveals that loveliness. But in and of itself, have you ever thought about it, how attractive the human face is to us? Like, why would we be attracted to them? Have you ever just thought about it, this funny makeup of a nose sticking out, ears on the side, hair, you know, flopped on top? It's like, why would anyone find that attractive? Yet, you and I look at it and we go, yes, that is attractive. It is. It satisfies something in us. And it's like, that's beautiful. Intelligence, the ability to think and reason, the capacity to feel, dream, long, and desire. A thirst for knowledge. See, the cow down the road doesn't exhibit this. The human body does. A desire to be better. I mean, a cow doesn't have that. Isn't that just a fascinating thought? A cow does not be like, I'm going I'm to be the best cow ever. It's like <laughs> most, most movies that involve animals give them a personification. They give them human longings, and that's what makes the movie fun. And so it's this like animal that's like always been, you know, put down because he's a rat or something and somehow has to rise up and be more than a rat. But that's what we as humans innately have and God put it there on purpose 
It's a gift. What you have innately in you, and people will even say that, you have a gift. They're not talking about a spiritual gift. They're talking about an innate natural gift that is already there. It is a shadow of something more that God wants to do in your life. A conscience, a craving for moral uprightness, possessing unique talents, unusual abilities, diverse one from the other, no two fingerprints the same, no two alike. Listen closely. All a shadow of things to come. All a gift from the Father. All a schoolmaster preparing us for Christ. So here's what I want you to see if you can grasp. We have been built a certain way, but as a shadow. And when you come to Christ, follow me on this, your natural man has to put off its first governor, sin in the flesh. That natural man is still there, but it comes under a new rulership. And whereas you always leaned on your old abilities, your own wit, your own wisdom, your own intellect, now you need to become lowly and humble yourself and give this all over to Jesus Christ. You see, he has a purpose, but it's greater than anything you could do in your own human strength with your own human giftings, with your own human breath, with your own human morality. God wants to raise you up and dignify and take those very facets and actually reveal Christ in and through them. As you give this body to the Holy Spirit, it does not mean he throws out your gifts. It just means they are consecrated for a higher use. The son gifts. He, Jesus, gave gifts to men. So we see that the father gives good and perfect gifts. And I just am attempting to at least break down sort of an idea of that. The son also gives gifts. And you're going to notice in this, and this is where, this is me attempting to break this down, and I'm not even saying that Stephen Kendrick, if he came here, would agree with the way I broke it down, okay? I'm just inspired, because I can't remember how he did it. So I'm just inspired by the fact that, yeah, that actually makes sense. So in this, you're going to notice that most of what you would include as Holy Spirit gifts, I'm going to put under the category of Jesus gifts, okay? Now, it makes no difference as far as functionality. I'm going to say he's the master builder. And so he has equipped each one of us primarily by giving us the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from Jesus, by the way. With very specific gifts. What? For the edification of this body. He's the master builder. So the son, the master builder. You are God's building. Christ is a son over his own house whose house we are. Wisdom has built her house, and wisdom is a great picture of Jesus Christ, and she has hewn out her seven pillars. Now, this goes back to last week, if any of you remember last week, when I was talking about pearl farming, and it was very similar, it was a similar theme, but very different message. So, the human body, I want you to look at it as the house, the human house. And we have a natural house that is given to us by the Father, if you want to say it that way, as the inborn native gifts that is meant to be consecrated. We must give up this life and give up this body, which he purchased with his blood, and entrust it to the master builder, who then takes the raw materials of us and shapes it. Just like Jericho, do you know that God took the gold and the precious jewels out of Jericho and built his temple with it? Well, that's sort of similar, don't you think? He's going to take this rough stuff that has been given to the world and to darkness, and he says, that's mine. And as we give it to him, he constructs the temple with it. So 
I'm doing, this is what I did last week as I broke up the body into seven systems. Now, for those of you that were listening closely last week, you'll notice that I took one of them out, the skeletal system, and didn't stick it in the seven because then it would have made eight, which then when it says wisdom built her house and has hewn out seven pillars, it wouldn't have counted up correctly. So Eric Ludi has worked on this a little to help make it clear, but uh, I just want you to not miss my points when I do it. See, I'll, I'll give you my, see the frame, the structure, the command, communication, the head, wisdom. I didn't include that in my list because it just makes it easier. Now I have seven. Uh, and so the breathing system for breath, the growing system, for growth, the purification system for protection, the delegation system for proper use of resources, the strength system for proper coordination of strength, the giving system for proper distribution of strength, and the replicating system for multiplication. So I went through this last week, and I I spent time on this. I'm not going to do that this week. But what I was saying is wisdom, when, when wisdom builds a house, wisdom understands that there is more than just one pillar. There are seven. And so each one is actually crafted to hold up a certain aspect of this structure. And so what I was presenting to you is I believe that God has built us the same way. That maybe there are seven different functions, just like we see in the human body. We have different systems of functionality, and as a result, different people emphasize different things. Like the the respiratory system is always wanting to talk more about oxygen. And the endocrine system is always like, oh boy, that guy is getting on my nerves because it's all about hormones. And then you have, maybe I should skip the reproductive system. Then you have the circulatory system, which is always wanting to talk about blood. And then you have the defense system or the immune system that always wants to talk about white blood cells. It's like this one guy's talking about blood, but that's too general. White blood cells is really where it's at. And so as a result, in the body... We tend to get irritated with each other because of these different emphases instead of recognizing that technically everyone's right. Because, yes, you know, the guy with breath is going to be looking at everyone else and go, okay, let's see what happens if we remove the oxygen. Let's just try it, okay, guys? So I'm sick and tired of you arguing over your stuff. I'm right. And you know what? He is right. If you remove the oxygen, you're going down. However, could you imagine the circulatory system going... Oh, so you think you're all that? Try removing the blood. <laughs> and every single one of us going around, okay, and then the, you know, we could all gather together, and then you have the reproductive system over here going, come on, we don't need that. And then the reproductive system goes, okay, we'll see how long you last. If you stop reproducing, you're going down. And he would be right, or she. Maybe it's a she. That would be the reproductive system. Huh? I mean, I don't know. The point being, we have been all gifted, and I'm going to call those father gifts, the, in, the innate understanding of our gifts, but then the son takes them and uses them and hews out seven pillars within his body. He says, you over here, this person is wired differently than this guy over here. He says, this is a pillar. This is a pillar. This is a pillar. And the way we function to build up this house is with seven, the diversity of seven, as opposed to just one style In the church today, it tends to be one type of personality that can lead it. But that is an incorrect model for the functionality of the body. That's, I don't want to just say it's American. I think even throughout history, we have a tendency to gravitate towards that. But I have a hunch that if we lean just on one singular style, one singular pillar type, that we end up missing how wisdom builds her house. So all of these things are a shadow of things to come. They're all a gift from the Father, all a schoolmaster preparing us for understanding the body of Christ. 
So in Haggai, the glory of this latter house, so there's going to be a later house, shall be greater than that of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So what you see even in the Old Testament is that there is an understanding that there's a greater house that comes. You know what the entire New Testament is about? Guys, you do know there's a greater house. I know you have a pretty incredible body, both physically and this, but there's a greater house. The kingdom of heaven, when it comes, we're not going to be moaning and groaning saying, but I want to keep the way things are down here. No, no. No, I'm perfectly happy for him to burn them up with fire and give us a new house. Perfectly fine with that. You see, this is how it works. It's okay that things will come to an end, but it does not diminish the value of what we have now. It is not to spit on it and kick dirt on it. It's to say this is a revelation of something to come. And when we function correctly, we see it and the world sees it. Whoa, he's coming. He's coming soon. And he's going to look like this. The house of Christ or the body of Christ. So in the body of Christ, there are those that are after breath for the body. There are those that are after growth for the body. There are those that are after the protection of the body. There are those that are after the proper use of resource in the body. By the way, I'm describing many of you in here. I just haven't gotten to the full list. And I don't know if we can divide these up where all of us are just one. Have you ever felt like you're a combination of two pillars? That's fine. I, I don't want to divide it up so seamlessly that I don't allow for God to be very creative. There are those that are the proper coordination of strength in the body, the muscular system. There are those that are after the proper distribution of strength in the body, digestive system. This protein goes here, this carbohydrate over here. There are those that are after the reproduction of the body. We need to go out and share the gospel, guys. If we're not winning souls, what are we doing? Every single thing that I'm mentioning is critical to a functional body. You remove one of those elements and the whole body withers and dies. Each one of us is uniquely gifted even before we come to Christ, there's a shadow in our life of how we would be used even in the kingdom of heaven. You ever thought about that? It's like, do I throw out the way that I'm wired? Actually, I think we are already wired. It's just that we need to give that wiring and plug it into a new circuit board. You see, we are all starter package ready to serve within a body if we will consecrate and learn to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us as opposed to us trying to finagle our way through all of this. Paul's list of grace functions. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Okay, uh, circulatory system, I know you're pretty happy about the fact that you circulate the blood. But I want you to not think more highly of yourself than you ought, because you need the other six systems. All right? You see, you're dependent here. Don't think more highly than you ought, O respiratory system. Don't think more highly than you ought, O reproductive system. We all work together. But to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, which is also the word service. Let us use it in our service or ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts or encourages in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy 
with cheerfulness. In other words, it seems to be, now this is one of Paul's lists, then Paul has other lists too. However, what we see is that it's a portion, like God has said, here, 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 here. This is how we build. This is how wisdom builds her house. So, you know, said it's seven. I just wanted to show that just because I thought that was brilliant. So, you know, when, you, when I can land on seven without having to take one out and strategically move it over here, it makes me feel really good. The latter house of God, the body of Christ. Let's look closely for the sun gifts. Now, this is from a message I gave, oh, a month and a half ago, maybe. It was called Every One of Us. And it was talking about how we are all involved together in the building of the body. Now, look at what I said. I said, let's look closely for the sun gifts. So the father gifts, I'm going to describe as that which is native or that which is inborn that the, that the son will leverage and use, but the son gives very specific gifts to the body of Christ so that it can function. Okay? What was the chief gift that the father gave us? It wasn't just a body. It wasn't just a sense of morality. It wasn't just law and sacrifices. You know who it was? His name was Jesus. For God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See how obvious that answer was? You see, God's great gift, the Father's great gift was Jesus. Now I'm going to break it down to brass tacks. The great gift of the Son is the Holy Spirit. But very specifically, it's the life We were dead in our sins. Jesus gives us his life. It's called eternal life. Most of us think that means it's to come. When in actuality, it's the life of God living in us. The Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of Christ. The life of of the Father and the Son is literally given to us to live inside of these bodies. These temporal homes become the dwelling place, like a tabernacle for the living God. So, the chief architect of this house, the Father, the master builder, Jesus, the foreman or the chief helper, the Holy Spirit, the handy, humble helpers. Now, here's where I want you to see, this is what I'm going to say is the sun gifts. It's all the operations for how this house is going to be built. The bishops, elders, and deacons would be understood as the governmental side of the church, the primary tools, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors, And the building materials or the Home Depot shopping list for what we need to go and get. In other words, if we are missing these, we seem to be missing some of the key functionality. Even though a man like me, as a pastor who tends to lean more conservative, sort of wishes we could just stop it there. I already feel a little uncomfortable with that previous list from Ephesians. Because it's like, what do we do with that? However, this is what it says. Some of us are given a supernatural impartation to minister and serve. Some are given a special empowerment to teach, some to give, some to lead. And some even have a supernatural capacity to show mercy to others. Some of us are given words of wisdom to bring to the construction site. Some of us are given words of knowledge. Some of us are given a special faith. Some of us are given grace for healings. Some of us, it's the performance of miracles. Others, it's the ability to prophesy. Others are able to discern. Some are given the supernatural grace to speak in different languages, and some can interpret different languages. And some are given a unique grace empowerment to help, and then there are some that are uniquely empowered to administrate within the body. So I'm going to say that these are not the ones that are inborn. These are the ones that come out of a consecrated givenness to Jesus Christ, and then by his Holy Spirit, he actually enlivens certain things. He imparts. They seem to be gifts given that are not native to the way we function. 
In other words, it does not mean they can't build upon something that was native previously but is now consecrated. For instance, leadership, it could be that you have a capacity for leadership in the natural, but then you gave it up to Jesus. And then he took that and added in a spiritual gift to it, which is now leadership in the body of Christ. That's possible, and I don't want to uh, decline that notion because I think it's very reasonable that this is a shadow of what is to come. And so if we were leaders in a natural sense, it's very possible that God is saying, I do desire you to be a leader in my church. However, you're really stinking it up over here. So when you give up your life, it is possible that as you consecrate it, God can use it. Now he can fill it with his Holy Spirit and wield it to his ends. But there's a lot of these things that do not fall into what we would call natural giftings. They are additional giftings that the Holy Spirit seems to give, or it's through the Holy Spirit. I'm calling them sun gifts because the Holy Spirit is the gift of the sun. So what I'm saying is the Holy Spirit is what the, what the Son gives with all the capacity for the church to function, to grow up unto a full maturity. So I'm going to say all of these things are a shadow of things to come. All are a gift from the Son. And all are a schoolmaster preparing us for <clears throat> Christ. In other words, where are we going with these things? What are we finding? We're finding more of Jesus. What is the Holy Spirit doing? He's showing Jesus. He's revealing Christ. The chief work of the Holy Spirit is to show Jesus. And so when the Son has given us that which we need to actually grow up unto a full maturity in Christ Jesus. So a quick summary. The Father's chief gift, Jesus. Jesus' chief gift, the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit's chief gift to us? 1 Corinthians 13. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, and that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Why? It never fails. It never ceases. It never ends. You see, you have been given something in the body. The, the G, Jesus Christ has imparted something for the edification and the growth of the body, chiefly the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit came in such a way into our midst where he dispersed and gave diverse and unique gifts for the construction of this house. So what does the Holy Spirit labor to give us? He labors to give us how we now utilize those tools to the edification of the body. You could have all those tools, but if you don't have what the Holy Spirit is trying to do with those tools in you, which is love, well, you're sort of missing the whole point. The Holy Spirit is actually the one that governs the use of these tools unto the end, which is to reveal Jesus Christ in and through love. What is the perfect that is to come? Key notion that I brought up in the very beginning. I might as well address it. So what does it mean when Paul says, you'll have these things until the perfect comes? When the perfect comes, these things will vanish. These things will cease. Well, the perfect is that which fulfills the previous. So the shadow is begging something. It's saying, hey, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So when that perfect comes, of course, that can conclude. John the Baptist when Jesus comes, guess what? His ministry sort of comes to an end. I mean, that's what he says. I need to decrease so that Christ can increase. His head is lopped off. 
That's what happens. And Jesus, once John the Baptist's head is off, he enters into his ministry. It's literally the moment he enters in. The first ceases. What's John symbolic of? The one crying in the desert. That's the law. When the law comes to its end and Christ has arrived, well, then the law is done. It does not mean it's a diminishment of the law. The first is beautiful. It's an incredible. Jesus even compliments John. What an amazing man. However, something greater has come. So it's that which fulfills the previous. It's that which fits like a puzzle to that which is before it. So what fulfilled the law? It's a person. What fulfilled the sacrifices? A person. What fulfilled the tabernacle pattern? Uh, A person. The temple? A person. The priesthood? A person. The lineage of kings? A person. What fulfilled the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures? A person. Which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of a person. His name is Christ. So do you see the reasoning that I'm going to have And understanding that if we're going to talk about the perfect that comes, that matches this shadow season that we're in, there's something greater. There's a greater house that is coming. So if there's a greater house that is coming, is it reasonable to think that it's going to be fulfilled with text instead of a person? Never has the text been deemed the perfect answer, the perfect end. It is the person that is the perfect end. And it just so happens to be that all throughout Scripture it talks not just about his coming, in the town of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, but that he will once again return, that he will come again. So is it reasonable to understand that just as the person fulfilled the first shadow kingdom, that a person, a perfect person, fulfills the second one? Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, even the structure of the body of Christ itself is all still a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The perfect is a person. Now, if you disagree with that, I genuinely do not want to split this body over that issue of cessationism versus continuationism, which is another ism. I really don't like isms and having to uh, go through all these things. However, the pastoral leadership of this church does land on the fact that we believe, and that's why, we, we, that's why I'm having to go through this, we believe that this continues until the perfect comes. And since we, in good conscience, cannot say that the closure of the text of Scripture is the end or is the perfect, we believe that these things are still open until that perfect comes. So the perfect is a person. He is the fulfillment of all the shadow pictures. So the three tiers of revelation. Just think about Jesus. The word of God in text, promise, and foreshadow. It was text. However, we would say that's still a revelation of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is all a revelation of Jesus Christ, though it was in text, promise, and foreshadow. And then he came, the word of God in flesh, living pure, dying for us. But then there's even a greater revelation of this. I mean, isn't it weird to say that there's a greater revelation of what Jesus Christ has already done? That he came to this earth, humbled himself, and lived the life of a servant, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross? How could there be anything even greater? However, there is the word of God transfigured, coming in the clouds, reigning forever and ever. And though it is not a diminishment of anything before it, the word of God in text does not cease. It is not thrown away. It still is eternal. It still is perfect. It still is the testimony of our great God. And just as the work in this season, the cross work unto the church, is eternal, It is always celebrated what Christ did. There is still something more perfect 
that is, we're going to witness and see that unfolds through this entire story. And the Spirit brings us the gift that endures. Love never fails. Love never ceases. Love will never end. A quick summary. The fruit of the Father. You know how we talk about the fruit of the Spirit? But I want you to think of the fruit of the Father being that which comes from the Father's love. What is it? It's Jesus. The fruit of Jesus. The life of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That which comes from the Holy Spirit. That's given to us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, many people have described those, the, 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 the fruit of the Holy Spirit as the chief one being love and all the other ones subsidiary to love. Okay, that's actually what I would probably conclude, even though it's an unnecessary statement to make nor to press. But that love is the chief fruit. And that all these other ones are the expression of what happens when love is ruling in our life. How could you not be joyful? Just like it says, love is the fulfillment of the Old Testament commands. If you love, you wouldn't murder. If you love, you wouldn't commit adultery. If you love, then the life of Christ has an open avenue in and through you to reveal joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we are a body, and we've been given the life of God, and we've been given gifts to function as a body, we must have the gift of the Spirit. We must have his work in us of love to care for these gifts, to work together so that we can functionally grow and mature. When the perfect comes back, oh, what a thought, guys. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall be changed. You see, there's another change that's still to come. I, mean, I, th- I thought we were changed. I went from Adam to a new creature in Christ. What do you mean we'll be changed? I don't need to be changed. Oh, you do. You see, this is a shadow kingdom. And it's okay to acknowledge that, that this is not the perfected version of what Christ came to do. But this is still important and extremely valuable. Everything that is taking place here through these imperfect vessels is part of God's plan. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. So in the meantime, guys, this is where we live right now. Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the power of the kingdom of heaven, known as grace, the ability to do. And he has enabled us to reveal in and through this shadow kingdom This imperfect system. If any of you have ever studied the church of Jesus Christ, it is really difficult to conclude that it's a perfect system. It is a system, though the words in Scripture are perfect, and though God's entire method is a perfect method, he is using very imperfect vehicles to carry out his ends. It's like, why would he do that? That doesn't even make any sense. Why does he just have angels come down and do it? Why would he use us? Because he seems to delight in this imperfect system. This system that is being perfected as opposed to being considered perfect. The perfect has not come yet. So, and in and through the shadow kingdom, the realities of the greater house, the perfect house, still to come in the clouds. So the perfect is still going to come, and every single one of us knows that to study scripture. He's going to come. The perfect is going to come, guys. I know that we're still struggling. We're still learning these things. We're still wanting to do this perfect. But when you evaluate the church of Jesus Christ and say, it's not perfect, you're missing sort of the point. That God has chosen an imperfect vessel, a shadow, 
to reveal something and to have us long for something greater. It's okay to long for something greater. You know, if any of you have ever tasted the fruits of love in the church of Jesus Christ and the brotherly kindness and the brotherly service that can take place in here, I mean, it's, it's amazing. You'd even say this, it's heaven. It really is. But if any of us ever pause and say, do you think heaven will be better or the same? It's going to be better. We will see face to face. Not just through a glass dimly. That's what we're seeing. It's wonderful. And even through a glass dimly, seeing a sunset, I'm sure is still beautiful. But to see it without the dimness, without the cloud, without the shadow, whoa, full glory, it's better. So here's what I'm going to say in the meantime. We must know our role in the body, i.e., and I'm given quite a few that, that fall into a different role. A congregant, a member, both words that we could use. Apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, deacon, elder, pastor, bishop. All words that we can make an argument for. And all of us need to find where we are at in that. We must know our function in the body, i.e. prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy. Now, I don't know that I've given a message in here. I gave it last weekend to the alumni on prophetuyo, okay, prophecy. And I went through 1 Corinthians 14, very specifically. It probably would be good to go through that as a body to understand. I'm not talking, I'm not trying to get weird here. I'm just saying this is what God has given us to function as a body. It's that which edifies. And so all of us technically should be very interested in it. And so if you just understand that the Holy Spirit works this way, and he always has, you don't need to get weird about it. It's just sort of how it works. We must know our gift to the body. So the way scripture says it is that each one of us is given something to build up the body. So don't you think it'd be nice to know what that is? So I'd say we must know what that is, i.e. words of wisdom, words of knowledge, special faith, grace for healings, performance of miracles, the ability to prophesy, the ability to discern, supernatural grace to speak in different languages, supernatural grace to interpret different languages, grace empowerment to help, and grace empowerment to administrate. The body of Christ is a shadow kingdom. It is a shadow of that which is to come, the glory of which far surpasses anything we have ever seen or beheld. I used to climb on my mom's lap when I was five, and I would ask her every day to tell me more about heaven. And she had these books that she would open, and she'd say, I don't know if it looks like this, but here's some, some pictures. And I would just imagine I'd ask her every question. You know, can you fly in heaven? Can you swim underwater and breathe? Are there caves underwater that I can explore? What's the food taste like? I wanted to know answers. And she's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But one of my thoughts that has always reigned in my life ever since I was a little munchkin was that what is to come far exceeds that which we have now. If we're in the old covenant right now, what would you describe if someone said, so... You, you've had a chance to take a peek. Like we try, time travel back to someone under the old covenant. Like, so tell me about it. It blows this system away. The old covenant stinks next to the new covenant. However, that which is to come is so much greater than this shadow kingdom that we live in right now. If you feel that groan and that desire for the next, it's because God planted that in you. It is right, it is appropriate, but it is not a diminishment of what we have now. What we have now is good, and it's appropriate, and it's fitting, and it's extraordinary. But we must learn to functionally work together in it. 
the glory of this latter house. Just imagine if that was said to us right now. The glory of this next house shall be greater than that of the former. That which is to come is still greater. That's the principle of the kingdom. Remember the wine at the wedding? He brings out the better wine as it continues, as it progresses. That totally is backwards. Everyone else would always bring out the best wine first, and then they'd sort of slip in some schlocky stuff. However, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus, invite Jesus to the wedding. You give great wine at the first, and everyone's like, oh boy, this is good stuff. And then Jesus brings out even better wine. You see, that's the kingdom of heaven. We've invited Jesus to the wedding, and his wine only gets better with time. Imagine if you took that principle into your marriage. A wedding, a marriage should only get better with time when Jesus is the one at the helm. So these gifts of grace have been given us for this season, but they will one day pass away. They are shadows of something greater. These shadows all lead us to Christ. They are schoolmasters which tutor us to see, expect, and understand and know Christ. These shadows equip us to bring life and strength to the body of Christ. So all of these things that we would categorize as spiritual gifts, this is what I'm saying, they are shadows and they lead us to Christ. They are schoolmasters which tutor us to see, expect, understand, and know Christ. And these shadows equip us to bring life and strength to the body of Christ. These shadows equip us to bring life and strength to the dying world in which we live. These shadows equip us to bring Christ to this earth, reminding everyone he is coming again. The perfect is still to come. The sacrifices were a necessary act in Israel, that is, until the perfect sacrifice came. Okay, so now follow my logic. The sacrifices were a necessary act in Israel, that is, until the perfect sacrifice, Jesus, came. On so, the function of the body of Christ through spiritual shadow gifts is also necessary in the church until the perfect conqueror, the glorified Jesus, comes again. So my dream, I had a dream just, I think it was yesterday, this isn't like some really profound dream. I had someone in this church that looked me in the eye right before I woke up. That's the reason it stuck with me. I, I woke up, it was like, whoa. And they said, do you really believe this stuff? And I remember right before I woke up, I, I, I answered. And I was thinking about it. I was like, do I really believe this? Because if I believe this, it creates a certain consternation in this body. It forces an action. You cannot just theorize about these things if you believe this. So if I believe this, there's consequences. Of course, I look at them as positive, but there are consequences. And there's a risk of splintering a body because these are delicate issues. So it would be easier to not believe it or to believe it silently, privately. And just allow 5% of the church to continue to be what leads the church and the rest of you to sit and watch. That's actually easier. Isn't that a funny statement? However, it's not loving. It's not actually the vision that Christ has given for his church. It's not what Paul encouraged anyone in the New Testament to do. So as a result, if I am moved by love as a pastor, do I choose the easy road? Or do I navigate into nettlesome territory to say, guys, I need you guys to start functioning. And you're like, well, hey, I don't even know how to. You're not giving me any opportunity. I realize that. I take full responsibility for not giving you that opportunity, and I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to give you the opportunity, but we're going to figure out a way. So that's where we're at. We're in a transitionary time, but Eric is longing. Our pastoral team is saying, all right, let's do this. Let's try it. Let's, let's go. Let's take a step. So my dream, Eric, do you really believe this stuff? 
So here's what I said in my dream. And this is what I'm saying to you. I do. I believe the Holy Spirit has been given to us to distribute the gifts of Christ Jesus to this body. And he has specific gifts for each one of us. I believe this. Diverse gifts that will cause us to operate effectively in this body with unique emphases and unique abilities that will complement and edify this body. And I believe that either you, as a member of this body, already have these gifts, or that we as the eldership have been entrusted a position to lay hands on you to impart to you these gifts. Now you'll notice that I put an or there. And if you asked me and tried to pin me down, it's like, Eric, which one is it? Some of you could have arrived at this church with spiritual gifts. Some of you could be sitting here going, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, and I don't know exactly how you get one. And I would say that's a reasonable place to be. You see, in the Bible, in Paul's letters to Timothy, he says twice, fan into flame, stir up the gift that is in you through the laying on of hands by the eldership. So, I do not want to leap over that and say, hey, you guys should just have it. Whip it up. Stir it up. You're like, hey, you never gave me anything. I'm like, well, what do I have to do with that? Just go to the Holy Spirit. You follow me? It's like, if the eldership has a role in this, well, maybe God entrusts something to those that are put in charge to distribute, to give. And I'm not the one that defines your spiritual gift, but maybe he like, hands it to me and I stick it on you. And I'm like, God, what did you just give them? And then they start going berserk. I'm like, whoa, God, Whichever way, here's what I'm going to say. We need to go after them. And if we need to formalize this in some way, where the eldership actually says, okay, guys, we're going we're gonna to do something here, then I just want to say, I'm not seeking weird. I'm the opposite of a guy who likes weird. Okay, the more you know me, the more you'll understand that, even though these, these messages on spiritual gifts, you're like, I'm not convinced, Eric. I genuinely want normalcy. I want things to fit nicely, to be organized, and God continues to press me out of that. Say, Eric, you ready to get uncomfortable? No. Yes, I am. And I believe that either you as the members of this body already have these gifts, or that we as the eldership have been entrusted a position to lay hands on you to impart to you these gifts. I want you to be functional. I'm saying that as a genuine expression. I want you to stir up that which you have if you have it, and I want you to crave that which you need if you don't have it. I want us to not just function in our natural gifts that are consecrated. I want us to function in those gifts that are natural, but with the additional bonus package of that which Jesus desires to give us uniquely and individually. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.